Hi, you're listening to After Dinner Conversations, short stories for long discussions. What that means is we get short stories, we select those short stories, and then we discuss them specifically about the ethics and the morality of the choices the characters and the situations put us in. Uh, why did you do this? What makes you do this? What makes us good people? What's the nature of truth, goodness, all of that sort of stuff? Uh, and hopefully we're all better, smarter people for it and, uh, and learn a little bit about why we think the way we think. So thank you for listening. Welcome back for our third or fourth, we don't know, attempt at starting uh, after dinner conversation. Short stories for long discussions. We kind of messed up the first couple. The people who are Patreon subscribers, you'll see some of the bloopers. Uh, I am your co-host, Colby, here with... Hi, I'm Ashley. And across the internet divide is... Hi, I'm Jeremy. And I'm Sarah. Great. Um, And... Uh, we are doing a story. F- the first one we're doing is today is, or the only one we're doing today, because the next one will be for in two weeks, is Farewell Odysseus by J.G. Willem. Um, and also I want to just give a quick shout out to Ellie Shoup, one of our newer Patreon subscribers. Uh, they are a huge help and they're the reason we're actually doing a magazine now. They gave us enough sort of money and starting space to take a couple of weeks off to start putting together a magazine. Also, for those watching on YouTube, we have a fancy background I'm going to put up for a few seconds. This is what the uh, the little uh, the cover of the of the the story looks like. It's a dog in a bow tie, and it'll make sense later. It's cool. I like the dog in the bow tie because he's got a bow tie. Okay, enough for that. Um, all right. So, yeah, I know you're shaking your head at me as you should. Okay, so the story uh, the story is farewell, Odysseus. Um, it's a little bit of a longer story than we normally do. It's about 8,000 words, so it's a you know a 20-minute read, half-hour read maybe, depending on your reading speed. But it's a fully formed world, which is super exciting. Um, the general concept, though, is not hard to explain. Basically, in the future, uh, there is a future where um, people with money have had the ability to genetically alter themselves, to replace organs, to enhance themselves, et cetera, et cetera. And because they are now enhanced, they have an advantage over everyone else on Earth. And so they are more successful. They get more money, so they can now further enhance themselves. Fast forward 500 or 1,000 years, and what you have is the human race is basically split into two different people now. The ones who have continually genetically modified themselves until they're basically a new species, uh, the Dios, and they all live on Mars. And the people who in the beginning didn't have the money to genetically modify themselves have basically stayed the normal human course of evolution, and they're humans. They're called sapiens. Sapiens, yeah, for homo sapiens. So the humans uh, live on Earth, and the dios live on Mars, and they are far superior uh, people, uh, so much so that we, we can't even understand their language anymore because it's too sophisticated as humans. Our story is basically simple enough, and that is uh, that one of the people on Earth decides he wants to be a pet for this, uh, for someone on Mars, for one of these these gods, basically. So he, uh, he volunteers and is purchased. He's trained on like dogishness. He gets sent to Mars, where he is the pet for. Uh, I don't know if the, does the guy the guy doesn't have a name, does he? Well, yeah, the- he's named when. <clears throat> In the second half of the story, we get to his perspective. He provides a name, but he's just okay. referred to by the main character as Agamemnon. That's right, Agamemnon. Yeah, and, and, the, and the, the, the main character is Odysseus, the human dog. Um, and 
they live a dog life in the sense that he's not allowed when he's on Mars, he's not allowed to leave the house, but he does protect it and he does do stuff all the owners away. Um, he can talk to other humans that are on Mars, but he can't uh, have he can't have like relations. They can't have children. <coughs> he can't learn the language of the Dios, et cetera, et cetera. And the Dios are basically immortal. They basically live forever. And uh, you know, after forty or fifty years, it's understood that the Dios will that the human will die, uh, and the Dios, who's basically immortal, will just get a new human pet. Um, the human also has, they also do lots of implants and replacements and the, all that. And so the, uh, the human, uh, in this case, our, our main character, has an implant that keeps him from sleeping. So, uh, so he just stays up all the time and like, you know, hangs out with his, hangs out with his God person. No, so the, no, I'm not right. the human has an implant for when the Dios is away for a couple of days at a time. So he can stay awake to to guard the house and his property basically so he doesn't have to afford a second human so they could do shifts. It's a way for him to only have to afford having one human to guard his property. Yeah. So it's not on all the time. It seems like he does sleep. Oh, he does? Uh, it's just he okay. has they the call ability. it selective sleep. Right. Yeah. Oh, so you, can, so, when so, he's, so you can decide when you want to sleep. Yeah. So when he's gone for periods of time the human guard doesn't have to sleep. Oh, okay. So he doesn't have to afford purchasing yet another human so they could change So they shifts. can take shifts. Right. Because yeah. they seem to be relatively expensive to buy, to ship out to Mars and yeah. do all that, right? Um, and the other concern is that they will uh, argue and bicker with one another for affection. Uh, oh, so that's right. by only having one human, you kind of eliminate that competition between the two humans themselves. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Um and the story ends by basically, and in this part I reread it, and I'm not actually sure, so maybe one of you all knows. I don't, the, the, the Dios, he, uh, Agnemenmon, Agnemen, I can never say that phrase. Uh, the, we're just going to say it called Agnemenmon. The Dios, <laughs> he, uh, he basically realizes that, the, that his human is starting to question if this is all fair and right. And so he takes him out for a run. And while he's out for a run, he presses the button, and the human just drops dead. Um, and, uh, and he's like, oh, time to get a new one. Uh, the thing I didn't know from rereading it, maybe you guys have an, an idea. I don't know if our main character, our human, is the one he's referring to, or if it was the one before that that caused him to buy the new human. No, that he's referring to the Odysseus in the first part of the story. Yeah, I'm okay. pretty sure. I- yeah. I thought I was questioning that too, but um, I'm pretty certain that. Yeah, because Agamemnon, when he comes along, or in the first half of the story, from Odysseus' point of view, he very much is questioning the state of things and, okay, you know what this means, how this came about, um, and he even has a moment of doubt when uh, uh, Agamemnon returns, um, and then we cut to the point of view of the Deus. And he basically says, I had to put this one down because he's beginning to question reality or beginning to question. Okay. I'd and like becoming to, self-aware. I'd like to. Yeah. So <clears throat> one thing that Colby left out is that the uh, Dios people also have an implant in the human's mind so that right. they can read their mind. That's how he became aware 
that his human is having inappropriate thoughts. It kind of goes through a screening process and then he gets flagged when things are inappropriate. So he, he has to take it upon himself to stop that train of thought by basically killing his human um, and then having to get a new one. So they basically kill him every time they start to be like, hey, this doesn't seem fair. It's, it's like it's, a way to stop the uprising. It's when they have self-awareness, yeah. um, and that's what they were... Um, well, it's not, self, it's not self-awareness, because they're aware. It's like self-awareness of their situation. Correct. And yeah, that's, yeah. that's what the training guy was telling him. Um, he's like, the, the mind needs to chop wood. As soon as it stops chopping wood, it'll start thinking of other things that it shouldn't be. Mm. And once it goes down that path, it can't stop thinking about itself and its situation. Right. So the trainer was telling him, you need to make sure you keep busy. Otherwise, you know, the idle hands. Yeah. Yes. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. So I can go to the questions, but uh, do you guys have things that you specifically wanted to talk about that you were like, uh, I really liked or didn't like this? Or was there stuff that jumped out at you? I thought it was a super clever story. I, I We normally don't publish stuff this long, but uh, it was just really good word building, world building. And it was, I thought it was super clever, personally, because I had never thought about, like, the perspective of it from being a dog, like if humans were dogs. Right. The thing that shocked me more than anything is you talk about this relationship between the human and the god, and it, the way that they keep trying to describe it from the human's perspective is that there is this mutual love, he loves me, I love him, this is great, I love him, he loves me, this is great, and when you get to the moment where the God has to kill his human, he literally pushes the button, goes and grabs him by the ankle, drags him over to the guy who's going to take the dead body away. And I was like, wow, there was no mourning period. There is no sorrow. I mean, he's literally dragging the human away by the ankles. And that shocked me a little bit because they keep talking about how there's this mutual love and he loves me. We cuddle together when he's sad. I'm to comfort him and, and he provides for me. So this must be a two-way street. When when in reality, at that instance in particular, it really shocked me at just how non-emotional the the deal seemed to be. Right. And not only non-emotional, but the minute he gets back to his house, his new pet is waiting for him. He had already pre-ordered him, knowing that he was going to do this. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. He, call <clears throat> he called him telepathically. Yes. Called the called the, the, the delivery person, right. basically. Oh, that's right. And he, and he said, like, maybe I'll have one more before I leave Mars. I totally forgot about that. So it makes me wonder, yeah. because there is such strict regulations and because everything is screened, all the thoughts are screened, it makes me wonder if there's a punishment system for the Dios if they don't act upon their human in an appropriate amount of time. Yeah. That's the only thing that makes me think maybe that's why he's so, like, black and white about it he's like i need to do this or i won't ever get another one again and so he just has to like shut that out somehow um you know there must be some punishment or uh restriction if he doesn't follow the protocol mm. and maybe what if he does let his human keep going and he's crossed so many like red flags that was the only thing that made me think otherwise so yeah but jeremy sarah yeah. thoughts no, you read it? That, that's an interesting point. Um, I didn't. I didn't consider that either. That maybe there is because he doesn't reference. You know, that there are many references to the fact that uh, the sapiens are not allowed knowledge. Yeah. Uh, that's kept from them. Uh, 
their language is kept from them, access to, you know, what they have access to is very strictly controlled um, by law. So maybe there are, uh, and, and that's probably part of it. You know, it's in order to keep this population under control, there have to be very strict guidelines to uh, the ownership and uh, how sapiens are intermingled into this society. Mm. That would make sense. Sarah, thoughts you had when you were reading it? So they're trained by caring for dogs, which is supposed to teach them empathy. But yeah. the humans taught, are trained. Yeah, the yeah. humans are trained by owning these dogs. and um, But they're told over and over again that this is like a two-way situation. But like to Ashley's point, it doesn't really seem to be a two-way situation. They leave them alone for weeks, months at a time. Like we wouldn't even mm. treat our dogs that way. So it seems to be like there's some real serious brainwashing type training happening here to, in order to get somebody to really like submit themselves in this manner. So to put that in perspective though, um, a human's lifespan considered to the DL's lifespan is, is very different. Just like a dog's lifespan is very mm. different to a human. So a dog think to a dog, a day is to them equivalent to a week. So you being gone for eight hours of a day is like being gone for three days for them. So, so how I, long do you think the Dios are really gone? Well, I mean, they say that, they it say is really like they you have still that eight hours. Like you know what eight hours is still as a human. Sure, but I think the point Ashley's making, which makes sense to me, is that the Dios. Let's say the Dios was gone for three days and re, like really gone for three days. If you live for a thousand years, three days might only seem like 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 twenty like, minutes to us. But for okay, a human, for, sure. for a human who only lives sixty or seventy years, three days is a lot of your total amount of lifespan. And I think the point Ashley's making, which I agree with, is if you carry that over to dogs, like it's like like when you go to the store and you come back and the dog's like, "Oh my god, I missed you," and you're like, "Dude, I was only gone for like ten minutes." Well, yeah, it was only ten minutes because we think of a seventy or eighty year time span. So what's considered a long amount of time is different to us. But to a dog, a half an hour is like you know being gone for half a day. Uh, it's, like, it's like they say one year is seven years in dogs' years, kind of putting mm -hmm. that into perspective. If you condense that even more, that means a week to them is a day. So, so you know? one of the things that I thought about when I read this story that I didn't have write as a question, but the human seems very like genetically altered to love his Dios. Like he's like, yeah. I love him. He is my friend. I love him. And the thing that, that made me think about when I read that is that is I've read in other things that that is what we have done to dogs, right? Is we found the friendliest wolf or whatever, and we were like, you seem okay with me. We're going to breed you. And then you seem like you like me the best, and we're going to breed you. And so over a period of 100 or 500 generations, we have bred a species to love us, like to genetically be prone to love us, right? Um, so because we've, we've picked the ones that are most loving to us and bred them. Were you going to say so? So was Odysseus bred or did he volunteer? I don't think he was bred, but I think after he volunteered, I, and they don't mention this in the story, but I think he was genetically modified. They mentioned oh, okay. though, though in the story that a breeding is even controlled on earth. It's not right. free so range. So they probably are. So they probably right. are yeah, controlling maybe. breeding on earth and then for whatever and and again they they hype it up on earth like you don't have a purpose on earth and here's a way for you to be useful and if you are bred to serve <coughs> like you're going to crave that wanting to be someone's 
servant, yeah. basically, someone's pet. It just drew a lot of those parallels between, like, everyone's like, oh, my dog loves me. And it's like, no, your dog was genetically bred over a hundred generations to love you. Like, we, we made an animal to love us. Congratulations. Uh, which is okay. Like, I still, when I like pup, puppies are cute. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. And that's the thing that I thought was super clever about this story, is the fact that they did sort of leave it unsaid, but the parallels were super obvious. Yeah, almost, yeah. Go ahead. Right, I was going to say, uh, as a, uh, I don't know, an example of this is uh, the farms where they have bred foxes to be more um, docile. Really? And where you can now, they have a... a a breed of foxes that are very docile, but they have lost their pointy ears. They've, they look more like dogs than they do foxes at this point. Yeah. So, and probably if you, you let know, them loose in other, the wild, they probably don't do so well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, different topic, just, you That's know, what traits are associated with foxes and what traits are yeah. associated with, uh, being amenable to, uh, tolerable to humans. So, yeah. so that brings up a good point. You know, we've been able to, not necessarily strictly by human hand, but just how malleable species are. I mean, we're able to, just by certain breeding tactics, you can turn a fox into a different kind of fox. You can turn a dog into a more likable dog. You, Make I mean, you take, bigger. You take whatever. a sheep dog and you raise them with sheep. They grow up to think they're sheep. I mean, how many times do you see like a dog was raised with a bunch of cats? The dog starts acting like a cat. That was not human intervention. It was just surroundings that they were with. And so it, it makes you wonder how malleable is the human species in that regard? Um, mm. Are we just as malleable to... Uh, uh, be bred to do certain things or yeah. be a certain way or, um, or even, to, or even, even to, sorry, even conditioned through conditioning. Yeah. They could be, uh, change their behavior quite a bit. And that's a good point. Like one of the things they don't mention is where the, where, where was this sapien genetically modified or were they conditioned to love the Dios? It could have been either, right? It could be that they, yeah, what was his his from when he was a baby yeah. did they to the pa- point? Did they Pavlov him, or did they actually, or or did they just go in and tinker with his wiring in his brain? We don't know. Well, I mean, it sounds like um, Odysseus doesn't exactly live in a, an ideal situation because he volunteers yeah. to go to this farm. Right? He yeah. I mean, he wasn't captured or rounded up. He wasn't drafted. He went to the farm of his own accord. He had nowhere else to go. So if he's already in a neglectful and abused situation, anybody yeah. who shows him any tiny little bit of love or affection mm. even if it's just dropping like crumbs of it every now and then just it's human nature to try to get more of that to yeah, try and like point. to seek that out over and over again and that's yeah. how people often end up in relationships that aren't so great right yeah mm-hmm. so hey, even just, as humans I, we can kind of do that to each other I, th- I think the other interesting point that um it kind of highlights is just how strong the human mind in particular is because here is this human who is part of their training was to have a dog and he realizes I'm going to be that dog and yet buys into it anyway. And it's so it's interesting to see how the mind kind of unravels from that in a way to have basically self-realization and have self-thought. And it's um it makes you wonder how true it is, you know, a working hand is what you know whatever because if he's not doing his job, the mind will think. And it's, I wonder how many of these humans that are now basically pets to these Dios, 
um, their mind deviates to that as a default. You know, how many of them really start to question who they are and their reality and the situation that they're in. I wonder how, how frequently of a default that is. And, and is, is that unique to humans? Is, is well, are there other the species? They have like a big red button on their remote to be able, like a kill switch. Like it must happen pretty often. Hi, this is Colby, and you are listening to After Dinner Conversation, short stories for long discussions. But you already knew that, didn't you? If you'd like to support what we do at After Dinner Conversation, head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash afterdinnerconversation. That's right. For as little as $5 a month, you can support thoughtful conversations like the one you're listening to. And as an ad incentive for being a Patreon supporter, you'll get early access to new short stories and ad-free podcasts, meaning you'll never have to listen to this blurb again. At higher levels of support, you'll be able to vote on which short stories become podcast discussions, and you'll even be able to submit questions for us to discuss during these podcasts. Thank you for listening, and thank you for being the kind of person that supports thoughtful discussion. A big red button on their remote to be able, like a kill switch, like it must happen pretty often. Yeah, that's, it. and it makes me, <laughs> right. are there other species that have that all of a sudden like, hey, I was raised with a bunch of ducks and I'm not a duck. Do they ever have that switch go off? I don't know. Or is that unique well, to humans? So so to, to go back, uh, to tie it in, I think a little bit, I'm trying to get to our questions, but we're not quite getting to them. But uh, I think as time goes on and the gap between the Dios and the Sapiens becomes wider, I think the humans try less to bridge that gap, right? Like the reason as a sapien you would try and bridge that gap is you would think to yourself, look, these, these Dios are really smart. They've really are amazing. But if I only had access to their database of information, I could probably, I, I think I could learn it. I think I could learn their math. I think I could learn their science. I think I could figure it out, right? Uh, but if you keep a chimpanzee as a pet, the chimpanzee never says, I think I could figure it out. Like they never, because that, that gap is too wide um, for them to, for you to need a kill switch for a chimpanzee. Like you never come home and the chimpanzee is like playing PlayStation and you're like, oh, you've gone too far. Like I've, you know, I've, you're, you're ordering stuff from Amazon now. I have to, I have to, you know, take you away from, you're, you're going to overthrow us. Uh, and so I think, the the reason they have to have that kill switch is only because uh, the, as the gap gets wider, that kill switch isn't even going to be needed. Is my ga- my guess? The question is though, where yeah, do you draw eventually. the line? Where do you draw the line though? Is it okay the chimpanzee can uh, turn on the TV, but as soon as he starts playing PlayStation, that's too far? Like I think where when he's, along I think, the I think, when, he's, I think when he's thumbing through your math book, <laughs> it's time. I think it's more it's of, yeah. I think it's more about overthrow because. So at the end of the story, he talks about neutering as human, mm-hmm. which is wild because at the beginning of the story, Odysseus says that he's not allowed to be anywhere near other humans because they might breed. Yeah. And I- so what is really there? What is the real motivation behind keeping them distant? Like they allow them to communicate over these speakers. Right. But, but they're they not, can monitor they, them. Yeah, at, where they can be monitored, but they can't actually be within proximity of each other. Yeah. So what is the real motivation there? They tell them it's because we don't want you to breed, you accidentally create more sapiens on Mars, but they've 
Well, they don't want secret conversations them. going on. And I think maybe they don't want right. sort of collaborative knowledge. Like, what's your right. situation like? Right. And maybe it's because the gap really isn't that wide. You know, right. that's why they're withholding the knowledge is that, you know, humans are absolutely capable of learning everything they know and and then teaming up to overthrow them. Yeah. And they've only so, been sort of told that the gap is wide. Right. I mean, the human- they do have telepathy. The, the Deos do have telepathy, and maybe that's the, really their only advantage. We're, we're, but like in three days, we're about to get some presentation from Elon Musk about a Neuralink, which is like not far away from telepathy. Right. Yeah. And, and it makes you think this they're not that far apart either, because obviously the human, uh, Odysseus, knows that there was an economic barrier that separated. So it's not like the story has been fumbled and mixed with. He's still aware that, you know, it's that was the truth of what had happened. Uh, at least, you know, who knows? Maybe yeah. that's what he was told. I'm curious. But. So what did, what did you guys think of the ethics of, of keeping a human as a pet as it was sort of defined in this story? Did, did, did you think not ethical or ethical or like, okay, does the fact that he volunteered for it, does that affect your opinion of the ethics of it he volunteered no. but he was still bought yeah that's i mean slavery yeah. is slavery like he yeah i feel well, like that question has been asked so many times and slavery is still slavery and i think that he kind of answers it when he starts to question the economic disparity that landed the two people in this situation the dios is a product of privilege and it's privilege run amok yeah. And um so they didn't there was no check on this that um that kind of provided for an equal society at all. Right. And, at all. And I don't think you're going to be able to trolley problem your way into defining slavery as acceptable. You know, there's not well if it's this way then it's an okay system. I, mean, I think this is it's, more of a cautionary tale. Yeah. Wait a minute. So in wait a minute. Way. All right, I'm just going to jump in just for the sake of stirring the pot here. Uh so <laughs> So, what? Like stirring the pot? the white guy. Stirring the pot. Well, no, stir because the I don't, pot. Stir I don't, the pot, I'm going to stir, I'm gonna stir the pot. Um, so, here's me stirring the pot. Just for the sake of argument, he, one, he volunteers to do this. And number two, yes, there is a, they, he purchases him, but that's because I think there is a cost to training him. And to shipping him to Mars. Like, you don't just get to fly to Mars for free. So, like, you know, you're paying transportation costs. You're paying, um, you know, scarcity costs, whatever. Um, and so, yeah, he's purchased, but but he volunteered. And so, you know, maybe he didn't read the fine print, but probably somewhere in that fine print was you can't unvolunteer. The big part, though, is he keeps mentioning that life on Earth is just so terrible that going to Mars is his better option. Yeah. So at what yeah. point do you make life so terrible for something, somebody that their only option is to become somebody's pet? Okay. That's, it's, it's like a twisted form of slavery. It's like, yeah, well, we're not technically your slave, but life is so bad that I would rather be under your rule of thumb and in your yeah. system. And with your granting you like ultimate power of life and death. Yeah. Well, but how is this besides the life and death part? We'll put that on a shelf. I don't even think (laughs) I don't don't think the human even knew 
The human didn't know that he had a life death switch. I don't think he knew either. No. I don't think he was aware that his Dios could read his mind. No, I agree. But but yeah. but okay. Let's let's put that part on the shelf for a second, though. Uh, <laughs> but what about so you think about like eighteenth um, century England or you know new immigrants to America in the early nineteen hundreds, where someone says, "Look, uh, because of the economic systems, I am very poor, and I can go be a housemaid for a rich person, and they basically keep me and feed me." And I help take care of them, and they can fire me anytime they want. That's they don't kill me, but they basically run my life in exchange for just taking me in under their wing. Are they? Be- I, I don't, they're not being compensated. Just, Are you talking about indentured servitude? Just because no, no, we've no, no, always had a system of unfair labor practices does not mean it's a valid system. Yeah, and it, it's the same thing. But even if but, we put a wildly advanced right. I agree, Society but it's not slavery. Okay, so the, this this is actually still in play. How ma- I'm going to totally flip this. How many systems slavery? Like, like well, no, look, look at look at like uh, if you have like a su- like, like a sugar daddy. So you want someone to take care of you and meet all your needs, and they're going to tell you how to dress and how to act and where to be and like under certain circumstances. That's still in role today. That's voluntarily having someone tell you what to do to some degree. Slavery. In return for uh, goods and money and whatever else. And whatever You else. know? I mean, yeah, I don't still... see how that's okay, though. That doesn't make it okay. Well, I'm, not saying, no. I'm not saying any of it's okay. I'm just saying... There are some people that are willingly wanting to do that still. Like, even But today. are they, though? Like, do they have... Are they given the choice? Are they really given the choice? Yeah. That, I think that's the difference right. here. And I think that's the part where I agree with you guys is... I don't know if I agree that what he signed up for in the story is slavery, but I feel like I agree with you in the sense that it is an economic system, a cautionary tale run amok that requite, that sets up a scenario where there are no better options anymore. And, and, and that, that's equally true when you look at like a you know, downtown Abbey situation where there's like somebody doing the thing or, or you're looking at a sugar daddy situation. I don't know. So one of, one Sarah's of the- just shaking her head. Um, I, just, so, I just can't believe we're talking about sugar daddies. <laughs> I was using it as a reference. Um, it's, it's, it's funny. We make fun of. No. So one of the other things I was thinking of in the story is how they allow. They kept mentioning over and over again and how the rich were the ones that were able to make this happen. It was the rich. It was the rich. And that still happens today. The rich kind of rule what we like. How many people want to go work under some you know, CEO of a company um, and they bow to their needs and allow them to abuse them and use them because they're rich so that they can get ahead up in society. What's that? Um, There was a movie with Anne Hathaway with uh, the devil wears Prada. Like she's willing to like go in and because she's who she is, put up with it. We still do that today. Yeah. There's a lot of, yeah, we don't, if we have the option not to though. And that's the thing. And that I think is is the the yeah. goal of a progressive society is to make it so that people aren't put in the situations where they have right. to choose between really awful or only kind of really awful. Like that's not really a fair choice to give a human being. Like at what point did this person actually lose his humanity? Right. Where yeah. where the only option to access any sort of opportunity 
is by is by allowing yourself to be exploited or exploited. Um, you know, how is that a choice? Yeah, you know, I think that's. And I think that's where the ethics part of this, I, I differ with you guys a little bit, is I think the situation they've been put in is unethical, but not the, not what they're currently doing because it's voluntary. But putting someone in that situation where they had to volunteer to do that, I think, is the unethical part. Okay, I'll, I'll I don't know. I just don't think it's All a right. voluntary situation. Thank you, Jeremy. <laughs> But what if you're brainwashed that that's the only way to progress? Like how many? I think we're repeating ourselves, actually. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna skip to any other questions I have here. Um, oh, uh, is it always unethical to keep a sentient being as a pet, or is it the intellectual spread between the two species that makes it acceptable or unacceptable? Could an orangutan keep a lemur as a pet? Uh, can a human keep an orangutan as a pet? Uh, is it always unethical, you think, to keep something as a pet? Obviously not, since we both have pets. <laughs> but is it so is it really just the intellectual spread? Is that it? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I mean, because some of it, you know, if you look at dogs and cats where, specifically dogs and cats, where this was an evolutionary process where humans and dogs specifically started to co- cohabitate. So, you know, it wasn't just something, it wasn't an active decision. It, it was just two species being in close proximity where humans then started to domesticate the dogs by keeping them around. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. It's, is this like a parasite situation where we have a symbiotic relationship? It is a symbiotic relationship. And we're keeping each other alive and healthy? Like, because you know, a, pets have a positive influence on human absolutely. health, right? Right. Um, well, there's an interesting there was an interesting study done where they uh, they talked about uh, from an anthropology standpoint where they looked at animals that were domesticated by humans, typically, or, or domesticated animals lose a certain percentage of their brain mass while they become domesticated. Yeah, they and, go stupid. Right, and <laughs> when dogs and humans started cohabitating, humans lost 10% of their brain mass. But there's a because thing that's we, called, uh, it's like co- it's like cognitive offloading, exactly. where you basically, okay. uh, and it's the same thing that happens when you get a cell phone, right? Before I had a cell phone, I had 25 phone numbers in my head. Now that I've got a cell phone, I have one phone number in my head, my own, and that is it. But the same thing happens when you get a dog, like you no longer have to deal with the things that you've now sort of offloaded to dogs to do on your behalf. Absolutely. Yeah. So, in the case of dogs and humans, this was a, a definitely a symbiotic relationship. You know, dogs lost their wolfness because they were then living among humans that didn't have to hunt for food. Where sure. we also offloaded our sense of smell. You know, humans could smell better before we started hanging out with dogs, and we let them do the smelling for us. Yeah. You That's know, for I example. think you just solved it. I know. <laughs> Good job. Okay. <laughs> Uh, all right. So, so as long as it's symbiotic, you're okay with one an, one animal yeah. keeping another animal as a pet. Ashley, yes. I assume you're the same way since you love dogs. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um. Uh, just looking to see if we missed anything here. Oh, 
Oh, uh, the last question that we that we didn't talk about, just to sort of mop up what's left of our quest discussion questions. Um, what do you think about the idea of the genetic modifications that started this whole path for them in the beginning? Do you think that once you allow one group of humans to do genetic modifications, it has to become not just available, but functionally available for everyone? So like if, if somebody gets a Neuralink, uh, if a rich person gets a Neuralink that just Bluetooth to their phone so they can like get messages in their brain, uh, that's the first step in what we're talking about in this story. Do you think that 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 technology both has to be both actually and price-wise available to everyone? Because that's happening right now. Uh, you know, you probably have to... I, you can probably argue this a couple of different ways. You know, is it an optional thing? You know, a Bluetooth connection to your phone is one thing where, you know, that's a you know, a vanity tax or, you know, it's, it's a luxury tax mm. because it's, it's not something you need. It's not something that definitively makes your life better that you don't have to pick up your phone. Okay. Um, but when you extend that to other modifications that actually provide some advantage, um, over other people, then, you know, that's something you really do need to discuss. Does that need to be more widely available? Yeah. Sarah, thoughts? Um, I, the, oof, there were a couple of questions in the story that made me feel a little uh, yucky. One of them was they specifically didn't just talk about modifications to people who were making the choice to make modifications to themselves. They also spoke specifically about the knowledge to be able to abort or keep a fetus. And, oh, yeah. Um, there, was a, that, there was a whole eugenics thing going on there. Whew, yeah. yeah. So that's interesting because we already kind of do have those tests. Mm -hmm. And right now, that's considered, I think, a very personal question that's left up to each set of parents when they get test results back about the health of their unborn child whether or not to carry it to term, what its quality of life will be. We don't have the ability to test what their IQ will be before they're born. Um, but that's a real squidgy question. Like that's something right now that we have the kind of – we have a taste of that kind of yeah. already. And um, we kind of have the luxury of saying, you know what, that's, that's a really personal topic and – it's, I guess, I think, I, okay, so in larger society, it is open for public debate because we do have a very fiery debate about this. But I think if we're talking about people who are collectively, like, just pro-choice, there, there's going to be debate even within that circle about whether or not that is an ethical decision to be allowed to make. And there's going to be all kinds of conversation about where are the lines drawn, right. you know, yeah. if we can, so if thinking, we can select for diseases – can we start selecting for other things? So, so you're thinking of it just from this standpoint, uh, not of enhancements, but of just sort of uh, like genetic selection mm -hmm. in a child. And they, yeah, and that, yeah, they talked about that in the story. And woof, yeah, yeah. Ashley, what do you think? Did you uh, do you think that if something that gives someone an advantage has to be available to everyone, not just the rich? 
I, I don't see how that's even possible because yeah. the cost of technology and the investors and the blah, 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 like, and there's only limited number. It can't be available to everyone at the beginning. They have to, some yeah. kind, again, it's all about profit. Um, so I, I highly doubt it'll be, I mean, it'll be available to everyone who can't afford it. Right. And you're just hoping for trickle down technology that you get access to someday at cheap. Like not everyone can afford a car. Not everyone yeah. can afford a cell phone. Like, well, that's a good example. And then cars with a great time, example that, it like. trickles down. And then yeah. you get you get the lower end of the what used to be new um, technology. Yeah. A car is a good There's example a- of that, though, because once you get a car, it gives you access to higher paying jobs you wouldn't have had to before because you can drive to them. Mm. Would you buy used imp- implants? It, it becomes like a threshold technology that mm-hmm. gives you access yeah. to greater abilities. Eh, so I when your friend that. is up upgrading implants, you could purchase get their the cast off implant. Yeah. Yeah. We already have a certain amount of um, inequity when it comes to rich versus poor in just our educational system, right? Yeah. Rich people already have like a completely different sort of advantage yeah. to giving their children music lessons, private tutoring, sports lessons, all of this kind of stuff that gives them a much larger advantage over poor children who yeah. might even be from the same – yeah. From a similar uh, cultural background or ethnic background. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But would you say no to that? If everybody can't have it, if everybody I would can't actually. have music so, lessons, you shouldn't have music So lessons. oddly enough, I worked at a charter school, and I don't think charter schools are a good idea. I think that they, they create that sort of threshold advantage that gives you a, a – it's like a car. Like if you go to a, a good school or get a good education or get access to tutors – uh, it, it does give you a potential advantage that carries over for the rest of your life and generationally, and mm-hmm. it perpetuates that. Yeah, no. So I, I would make everyone go to the same school, and I'd do them by lottery. But you know, I think the I think the ideal is to make the technology available to everybody, regardless yeah. of what their background is. And yeah. um, I think that's kind of what we strive for. Is like. Instead of saying, well, not everybody can afford music lessons, so you can have them, we say, well, not everybody can afford music lessons, so let's find a way to get them for everybody. Sure. So not everybody can afford this technology or this implant that makes you smarter or makes you live longer. Let's find a way to make it so that everybody can have this. So there's like government subsidy for poor people to get implants or something. Yeah, I guess. Okay. Right. This is a wild ride. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So I'm going to... I'm going to cut us off there just for time. Uh, you've been listening to After Dinner Conversation, short stories for long discussions. Uh, just as a quick reminder, we now have a magazine that will have been out for three or four months by the time this comes out. Um, so you can now subscribe to a monthly magazine um, and get uh, get six new, original, unpublished, you know, unseen before short stories emailed to your inbox the first of every month for $1.95 a month. Or nineteen ninety five a year, and of course the anthologies are still available, and the short stories are too. Although we're going to be slowly transitioning all that to the if magazine. You, if you want to get that information, go to afterdinnerconversation.com. You always remember to say that, and I always forget. You got to hey, tell the people where to go. Yep. Thanks for joining us, Jeremy and Sarah. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Bye. If you've enjoyed listening to this, please like and subscribe. Uh, It helps us out a ton. You know, the vast majority of people listen haven't liked and subscribed, which means maybe it shows up in your algorithm, maybe it doesn't. So don't leave that to chance. Just go ahead and hit that button, and we'd sure appreciate that. And uh, that way we can keep doing what we're doing, and you're not left to the whims of some algorithm. Thanks.